When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, hello. This is Owen Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Today, Dave Ward is the leader of one of Britain's biggest trade unions, the Communication and Workers Union. That represents everyone from posties to telecommunications workers. What I want to talk to him is about the fact that key workers like those he represents who are applauded by ministers and private sector bosses then get screwed over, about a new deal for workers, about how trade unions can fight back after the pandemic, and also about Labour now. He actually tells me he thinks Labour are in danger of becoming irrelevant. Pretty damning words. Uh, It's really important that trade unions, the biggest democratic movement in the country, actually have a voice. I'm really glad we could have a chat. Uh, As ever, if you want to support us, uh, keep this podcast and channel and everything we do going. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash ownjoes84. You can help decide what we talk about, who we talk to, what documentaries we do. And also, uh, you can use the support function in the description. Please do subscribe. Give us five stars. That way, other people can can listen and leave a review if you're so well inclined. With all that said and done, have a listen. I am very honoured to have with me Dave Ward from the Communication Workers Union, a one of the big unions here in Britain, representing from postal workers, telecommunication workers, uh, one of the fighting unions in this country. It's a union which is prepared uh, to go out, not just organise uh, huge numbers of workers, but to, but to actively fight and win things, which we're going to talk about, actually, Dave, because I think in these in these times, people do want, uh, want glimmers of optimism to hang on to. But anyway, Dave, great to see you. And you, Owen, really looking forward to having a good chat about all of the things that are going on at the moment. Uh, there's lots that we can talk about, and let's cover, cover everything. We uh, will, yeah. I mean, these are tumultuous and disastrous times, and that's just the Labour Party. We'll come on to that. Yeah, um, just, to, just, just before, we're not, we'll talk about Labour and Keir Starmer later. We are talking about that, everyone, just so we know. I just want to kick off. Look, this has been, in terms of for workers in this country, we... I mean, we had the whole clap, didn't we? The minute everyone clapped out their windows, doorsteps, balconies, whatever, uh, including Tory ministers who'd spent the best part of a decade attacking the terms, conditions, wages, pensions of many workers, but also private sector CEOs, I would imagine, private sector managers. I mean, just talk about what some of the things, some of what a lot of your workers have had to go through. What what would you sum up as being the experience a lot of them have have had to have and how do you feel about the fact that maybe some of their employers have been clapping them as key workers but yeah. and and how does that gel with how they they treat them well i mean first of all as, as a leader of the cwu i'm immensely proud um about the work that our members have done throughout the pandemic so pretty much all of cw's membership um have been designated as key workers 
And when it comes to the type of work that they do, you know, I mean, postal workers obviously are out delivering every single day of the week. Um, they have a special bond with customers. And I think what the pandemic has shown is that they pretty much own trust on the doorstep. And I think they've almost been a lifeline for a lot of people. If you imagine, you know, people living in remote areas um, where they're not getting to see anybody, vulnerable people, a postal worker could well be the only person that you're really going to see uh, during the course of the day. So I think they've done a fantastic job, um, certainly enhanced their reputation in society, as all key workers have. And, um, you know, I, I think it's been it's been a mixture of things. It's been very difficult uh, with our postal members initially, uh, a lot of battles over PPE. Interestingly enough, from what we observed, maybe a little bit before that debate was taking shape uh, in the NHS, uh, because I think we have good engagement with our members. So our members turned to us and, you know, the union got battered a bit initially uh, around, you know, should should our members be working? The position that we took on that, uh, as always, um, is a position where, you know, we made it clear that if the PPE wasn't there, then our members wouldn't work. We didn't wait for ballots or anything like that we just said that's the reality of it and we had a lot of workers in some offices up and down the country who did decide that they weren't going to work on certain days because the PPE wasn't there but we overcame that and I think they've done a job where you know I'll come on to talk about the agreement that we've reached with Royal Mail during the course of the pandemic significant victory for our union and for the movement our B team members as well our telecom members uh, you know, I mean, you wouldn't have all of these Zoom meetings if it weren't for CW members who keep the country connected online. Uh, I think you you wouldn't have homeschooling uh, if it wasn't for the reality of the work that our members do. So, again, you know, they've gone the extra mile. Um, now, BT, uh, we're on the brink of a national dispute with BT. And I think you make a good point about companies uh, politicians clapping people and then betraying their workers. And what's happened in BT is that, unfortunately, they're one of those camp companies that has definitely betrayed the workforce. So they've been out there, they were putting out stuff initially saying that their, their workforce were true heroes. At the same time, they was bringing in a, a £5 billion uh, transformation cost-cutting programme that has resulted in compulsory redundancies for the first time um, in our history with BT, has resulted in them serving notice on voluntary terms, good terms that the union had negotiated, um, has resulted in them serving notice on a pensions agreement, um, has resulted in them closing sites up and down the country willy-nilly. Um, and this is all from a company um, that when you think about building back better and what it might mean, um, or what it should mean. Uh, this is one of the biggest companies in the UK. And you've got a CEO who, you know, he seems only interested in hitting numbers, uh, which are obviously about, you know, rewarding shareholders. And this is a company that should be part of the growth of the economy. And instead, it's scaling back. And, you know, we've got no option but to take this company on. Uh, I do think there's a real problem in society with companies and their leadership not everyone but there are certainly leaders around at the moment in the business world who need to be held to account and give something back with their company to their workforce 
and to society. And unfortunately, in BT at the moment, that's not happening. So what would your message be to the CEO, Philip Jansen of, of BT? Because you're talking about, you know, the first strike in what, four decades? Yeah. Thousands of compulsory redundancy, hundreds of site closures during the biggest emergency since World War II. Lovely stuff. What What's your direct message to the CEO of British Telecommunications? Well, I, I think the direct message is, is we're balloting our members for industrial action. We'll win that ballot. Um, we'll get support for our members. And he either needs to do a deal, do a proper deal, on the future of the company, stop the compulsory redundancies, um, engage with the union on how the future, give workers a greater say over the future of the company, or he needs to move on. And I suppose the big message to him would be in the postal dispute that the CW dealt with in the pandemic, we did actually move on the CEO of the company as part of that dispute. So I think he needs to listen uh, and it's time for him to get around the table and negotiate a proper agreement. So in terms of, you know, workers already had a lot of working people had a bit of a kicking for the last decade or so. The longest squeeze in wages since the Napoleonic War, which was a fair yeah. while ago. We're talking... 200 years, at least. Best part of 200, literally over 200 years ago now, yeah, since uh, that, that war with Napoleon. So I think we can agree that's a long time. Um, but also often for many workers, especially younger workers, more precarious terms and conditions... Uh, this promotion of insecure working, zero hours and so on. So you're talking about this new deal for workers, which sounds yeah. very, very, very ambitious. Um, with the Trade Union Congress, for those who don't know what that is, that's the 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 national body which all union, well, almost all unions, not all, are affiliated to. It's the Federation of Unions in this country. What What exactly are you calling for? And does it... Are you confident it will have the support of other unions? Well, well, first of all, I think that it's important that we discuss, you know, why we need a new deal for working people. And for me, you know, you touched on one issue. Uh, we've had the longest wage squeeze for over 200 years in this country. Um, the whole economy has been built for the last couple of decades um, on insecure employment models. And those models, I mean, anybody who deals with the world of work at the moment and with companies, um, you know, the big companies, all of them do it. They all attempt to bring in contracts of employment. I mean, people talk about zero-hour contracts, but there's a whole world of con contracts of, for employees at the moment that are nothing like when I first started work. Um, you know, there's short-term contracts, there's specific event contracts. Of course, most of them have no holiday pay, have no sick pay, there's no proper pensions. And coming into the pandemic, there's something like 8 million people in this country who were working and living uh, below a, a living wage, were earning less than a living wage. And, you know, for me, this is a key fight for any trade union leader at the moment. Uh, and what we're saying is, can we reshape uh, uh, the whole world of work in this country? Can we as trade unions come together under the banner of fighting for a new deal for working people? And I say this distinct from the Labour Party. Uh, I see this as a very distinct trade union agenda. Um, I also see it, by the way, as uh, an opportunity to build new models of collectivism in the country. So it doesn't have to be restricted to trade unions. It doesn't have to be restricted to trade union members, workers anywhere. Um, some of the groups that are emerging in society uh, where I do feel 
uh, quite confident that there's almost a rebirth of collectivism taking place as a result of this pandemic. You know, there's room here for us to build this movement uh, around an agenda of changing uh, the world of work. I think it's also about making sure that in doing that, that we address some of the big issues that we're going to be facing. So the climate emergency. So clearly, a new deal for working people means supporting the need for a, a new green deal. Um, we also face coming out of the pandemic, something that is not spoken about enough, uh, the fourth industrial revolution, the use of technology. And if we don't fight for workers' rights now and enhance workers' rights, it's not about defending workers' rights for me, it's about actually improving them, um, then we are not going to be able to deal with these problems. And I think the trade union movement, um, different to perhaps politicians, um, I mean, politicians to me, too many of them, they do politics in their head, in theory. Uh, we can do it on the ground. Uh, and what I'm committed to, and I believe that other trade union leaders are now looking at, is us coming together and actually making change happen, even with a Tory government. I think we can do that. I really do. And I think we've got to develop it um, around three or four different points. So one of them for me would be common bargaining agendas in sectors of the economy. Um, we should be working with other trade unions to set standards of employment across sectors of the economy. You know, Owen, that the, um, the, the post and logistics sector, the parcel sector has exploded. Um, but it's one of the areas that is absolutely covered with jobs uh, on low terms and conditions, low pay, insecure employment, bogus self-employment. Well, we've got to do something about that. You know, we're not waiting for the Labour Party to do something about that. We have to do something about it. So common bargaining agendas across sectors of the economy, taking on the multinational companies, um, who owns technology, um, giving workers a, a greater voice, over what happens in their in the direction of their companies. These are all things that we can put together. So that's one thing. The second thing I would say that's really important is that we end internal competition um, to in organising workers. You know, there's been too much of unions fighting against each other as to who organises workers. And I'm up for a debate across the movement on new uh, models of how we go about organising workers in the private sector in particular. Uh, the third thing is, is we do have to sit down and agree um, what our key industrial and political demands are, and that's a debate that the movement needs to have. And the fourth one, the most important one of all, is we've got to mobilise workers behind that agenda. And I do believe that can be done, even during this pandemic. So before I ask you about the broader future of the, of the Labour movement and how it can, I suppose, change, how it can win over particularly younger workers whose lives are very tough, but many aren't in unions. We'll talk about that. But in terms of Royal Mail, tell us a bit about what's happened there, because I, I think a lot of people, when they, they hear about workers going on strike, in their head, they always associate it with defeats. I mean, they think of, you know, maybe a younger audience watched Pride and saw you know, amazing film about the miner strike where the miners got yeah. clobbered and the union movement never recovered from the miner strike in the mid-1980s in lots of ways. And what we don't often hear about, we hear that glorious defeat as it was sometimes sometimes referred to, but, uh, you know, when miners so courageously fought for their communities and their lives and were smashed, but people don't think of actually there are these victories that are taking place 
because of unions organizing in the here and now. So just tell me a bit about what's happened with Royal Mail, because that's been a long and arduous struggle that's taken place. But where where do things stand? Well, uh, I mean, we've secured uh, a really good agreement during the pandemic. And essentially, you know, it's been a struggle from the moment um, that the pandemic started, because you may recall that we'd actually just announced the result of a, a ballot for industrial action. We got a 97% yes vote. Um, and we got, I think it was around about 75% turnout. So we smashed the Tory anti-trade union laws. Um, and, you know, we, we took a, a decision that it would have been wrong at that point, even with that backing of the membership, um, to have launched into strike action at that point in time, even though we had that mandate. Um, because we recognised that the role of postal workers uh, and the work they do was going to be really important. We actually said to the company, you know, you should be putting postal workers forward now as an additional emergency service almost during the pandemic. And that was part of a strategy uh, of us to enhance the, the role of postal workers. And we were up against the CEO who clearly his plan kind of got uncovered um, it wasn't what he was saying initially, but it became clear what he was doing was he was about to abandon um, Royal Mail as we know it. And he wanted to set up the company as a just another parcel courier. Um, and in doing that, he was going to set up a separate parcels company. And over a period of time, he was going to introduce new workers into that, new terms and conditions, lower than what we've negotiated for our members um, and essentially his strategy was to let Royal Mail wither on the vine and anything that was going to grow, i.e. parcels, he was going to push it into a new company. Back to that classic moment that all of these CEOs uh, who don't have an interest in, in workers, only in hitting the numbers and, and making profits for the shareholders and themselves, um, you know, classic strategy. So we made it clear we, we weren't accepting that. And, you know, we, we, we had some moments during the course of that where our members got behind us. Um, you know, it wasn't done uh, as, as, you know, in terms of uh, legal action. Um, and, you know, people made it clear on the ground that we weren't going to accept that. They were trying to introduce changes and people just weren't going along with it. Uh, and, you know, what I've got to say about our union, which is unique in some ways, uh, because of the structure of Royal Mail, where we've got workplaces across the whole of the country, in every town and city, and uh, and in villages, um, in some in some cases, um, is we've still got workplace reps who have power, where the manager has to sit down and negotiate with them. And one of the things we we did as a union, when Royal Mail was privatised, we weren't defeated by privatisation. We had a strategy to protect the workplace structure and to fight for it no matter what. And that came into to being. The CEO was forced out. There's no two ways about that. We forced him out. Um, he lost the confidence of some of the board members. And ultimately, through the course of that, we negotiated an agreement that completely changed that strategy and now means that in terms of trying to grow the business, it's going to be done with the existing workforce um, we're going to expand the role of postal workers. A lot of people have written off the industry um, because letters are in decline. 
um, we've managed to now say, well, actually, your greatest asset is your frontline worker. So why not build your strategy for the future around somebody who owns trust on the doorstep? And we can put forward more products and services. Um, we want postal workers to have the opportunity to work with councils um, in supporting vulnerable people. Um, we're going to develop ideas around this in supporting local businesses, tailored services. The key thing for us is that postal workers themselves can create that agenda, and that's what the agreement has done. On top of that, we got a two-year pay deal worth over 6%, uh, and we got an hour off the working week. Um, we've got job security uh, guaranteed um, for another two or three years where nobody will be made redundant. And actually, we're just now seeing signs of the industry growing again. So it was a very significant victory that doesn't often get talked about too much. Um, and it's a victory that we've had several times because, and I, and I will make this point, we as a union were never going to be defeated by privatisation. We had a strategy to deal with that. And we've stopped the company franchising. Um, we've stopped them outsourcing. They've not introduced two-tier terms and conditions. And it's been an ongoing struggle and an ongoing strategy backed by our members, backed by workplace trade unionism is the truth. Before I ask about Labour with a capital L, uh, younger workers have suffered disproportionately. They have... Uh, been expected to pick up the tab for the financial crash. They suffer a housing crisis, insecure work, saddled with debt if they went to university, youth services slashed, public services they depend on slashed. They were promised a better life than their parents. To pull it bluntly, that is not going to happen. Um, and yet, you know, we see in general elections, more under 40s vote for Labour than have ever voted for Labour under the age of 40 in the history of British democracy yet most of them aren't unionised. What can happen to change that? How can unions adapt change to ensure that younger workers who are often the most insecure and have been clobbered so badly are, are in a union? What, what, what has to happen? I think we need to, first of all, uh, recognise that it can't be done with unions acting in isolation. Um, so I think this is where the trade union movement has to come together now. I mean, a, a trade union should, uh, and in many cases does, um, bridge every divide in society. And surely our number one job at the moment is to fight to change the balance of forces in the world of work. Um, you know, everybody talks about what those problems are. And, you know, it's our job to change it. And, and I think that starts by willing to willing willingness to be working together to harness our strengths. Um, I think there's some great unions around. I think there's some great union activists around. Um, but for whatever reason, we've we failed to bring the union movement together as a collective force. Well, the first thing we've got to do is is achieve that. This is why I think having a an overarching campaign for a new deal for working people that would relate to all of those people who are suffering in the world of work at the moment and particularly young people. Um, you know, I think that is the byproduct of that. You bring trade unions together, you set out that agenda for the private sector as well as the public sector and you organize workers. I mean, the second thing we've got to be prepared to do 
is um, be be more out there. Um, you know, you, you've often mentioned about the CWU and its engagement with people. I think union leaders have got to be more accessible to workers. Um, I think that means trying some new ways of engaging with people. I mean, I'll tell you what I'd like to see. I'd like to see every union branch in the country, in whatever union uh, you're in, holding a meeting with members, making that accessible to people in those areas to come onto that meeting and start talking about we're going to fight for a new deal for working people in this country. Um, I think we need to be open to different models of collectivism. I think what's happened in the movement, um, understandably, I suppose, some unions as membership has declined, although it's starting to show that, you know, we're, we're starting to grow again, which is a great thing. Um, I think we've we've perhaps been drawn into the debate about you merge with other trade unions, but you do it normally, uh, unfortunately, for financial reasons. And I'm not saying that big unions are the answer or small unions are the answer. I'm saying we've got to collectivise our efforts. Um, I've heard debates before about, you know, on the left, which I would class uh, our union on and myself, you know, people talk about we've got to have a general strike. My, my answer to that is you've got to build something first before you move on to really um, showing your real power. And, and I just don't think we've spent enough time talking about how we mobilise workers. So we've got to have a distinct trade union agenda, um, not wait for politicians to change things, um, to, to reassert trade unionism in this country, but be open to supporting um, all forms of collectivism. I mean, there's some great models of collectivism that are emerging out of the pandemic. Um, the renters' associations, uh, you know, have been around for a while. Uh, the, the food bank uh, organisations, these can be part of trade unionism, not with us taking them over, but with us working with them. And I, I think that's the agenda for me uh, going forward. It's what I spend a lot of time thinking about is how we truly going to build our movement and shift the balance of forces uh, in society, um, in the world of work, in the economy. Um, you know, we've got to have a bold agenda when politicians, unfortunately, haven't. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Which is quite a good bridge, actually, to the next question, uh, which is, and it's funny, actually, because there's one kit, that's my cat, Kia, who is yeah. uh, a cat of vision and determination and leadership. So that's that, Kia. In terms of Kia Starmer, how is he doing? And I suppose just to follow up on, just to be specific about how he's doing, A, how much is he stuck by the promises he made during the leadership election? And B, what the hell is his vision for the country, Dave? Because I, I, I don't know. It's my job. I'm a political journalist. It's my job. I know, you know, I, I, I've spent all my adult life in and around the Labour Party. I know, like yourself, most of the leading lights of the Labour Party. It, it's not like I haven't tried to work out what the vision of the Labour Party is. I just, I just don't know what it is. And I think more worryingly, I don't think they know either. So how is he doing? Is he keeping to his promises? That was probably a bit leading. I'm sorry, but I'm frustrated. And what the hell? What's the vision? What do they stand for? So I, I couldn't disagree with with your assessment. Um, I, I mean, for me, Labour is in danger of becoming completely irrelevant. Um, I think it's in danger because this has been going on for a long, long time. Um, you know, for decades, I think Labour has been moving to this position where it seems to have forgotten that it's meant to be representing working class people. I think the only time that potentially changed was the Jeremy Corbyn leadership. Um, not saying Jeremy done everything right. Um, you know, there were clearly issues uh, that had to be dealt with there. But at the same time, what was right was a very bold transformative agenda. Uh, and I think you'll become irrelevant at the moment if you haven't got an agenda where people know what you stand for. And I suppose if you go back to Keir's part in this, and I'm not blaming him for all of this by any stretch, but, you know, he stood on a ticket of essentially Jeremy and John McDonald's and that Labour Party's manifesto. You know, he pretty much promised... Um, what we would describe as a socialist transformative agenda. Um, we certainly got pledges from him as a union. Um, you know, he wrote to us setting out the pledges. Uh, we've still got them. Um, he stood on a ticket of doing those policies in a more effective way, a more professional way, uh, and in a way that would become electable. And I suppose the final ticket he stood on was that he was going to unify the Labour Party. Now, by any measure, I think you'd have to say he's not achieved any of those goals um, in the last year. And I, I think he, he's in real danger now, politically. I mean, the, the Labour Party is tearing itself apart. Um, it's quite obvious that there's a lot of pressure on him to move to the right. And I don't think that's going to work. I mean, as he's moving to the right, some people would argue that Johnson, on some of the policies, as it is stealing some of Labour's policies, at the very time that Labour seemed to be abandoning them. So all in all, I don't think they've worked out how to deal with Boris Johnson either. Um, I think he's, he's outmanoeuvring them. And, you know, I mean, things like, Captain Einsight, you know, whatever you think of Johnson, that's a great political line that I think is actually cutting through 
with people. And Labour at the moment, unfortunately, can't get in front. It's not easy. I'm not, I'm not saying for one minute it's easy. But surely in the middle of a pandemic, you know, with all of the, the imbalance of power and wealth in this country, in the world of work, in society, you know, I mean, this is deep um, inequality that mm-hmm. we're seeing. You know, you talked about young people. I feel this all the time when I look at my own family and friends. You know, we've got to do something about this. That's the key question that faces um, the Labour movement, the trade union movement, the Labour Party. And at the moment, it's not stepping up to what it's going to do about it. And therefore, it's in danger of becoming irrelevant. The only thing I've seen recently is that, you know, there, there seems to be now... Well, the answer is is to move to the right. Um, the answer is to bring back. So we're hearing some some of the old Blairites. Um, I've heard Peter Manson. Sorry, I was thinking. Peter, Peter Manson. I've heard is um, now being you know is um, undoubtedly you know a clever guy, but I think from a different era. I think what Labour are missing is I actually think people do want change, but. You've got to lead that debate. You've got to show people what you stand for. And, you know, if you look at Scotland, that's almost looking irretrievable and certainly wouldn't be settled until independence is settled one way or the other. I think I don't see a way back for Labour at the moment there. Um, If you look at the red wall seats and up north, you see real problems emerging where Labour... Uh, I think over primarily Brexit, um, didn't capture the the right position. And I just think generally, I I don't know whether Labour is a a working class party anymore. You know, I'm being honest, to me, it looks like a middle class party. Uh, I just don't think it knows what it is and what it stands for. Therefore, it's becoming irrelevant. The polls are showing that. It's a big moment, I think. And that's why... As a trade union leader, you know, I've always believed this anyway. I think we've got to do something about it. Uh, and this is what I, I would do. I would set out the agenda for all trade unions to come together, whether you're affiliated to the Labour Party or not, and start building our movement. I'm not talking about disaffiliation. CWU is not in that place. Some of our reps and members may want to discuss that. Um, but I'd rather say this is what we're going to do and hope that the Labour Party follows that agenda. But I mean, I mean, I couldn't disagree. Sorry, I couldn't agree more. Even, I mean, you know, we've had one of the worst, most catastrophic handling of the pandemic on earth. One of the worst death tolls. One of the worst death rates, uh, and one of the worst economic consequences. Because if you don't deal with the public health crisis, you end up with the worst economic crisis. They're not. It's not yeah. either or. They're both intertwined. Um, We've had the calamity of Test and Trace uh, handed out to private contractors and so on who've made a complete pig's ear of it. And yet, Labour haven't had a clear narrative on this catastrophe about how the Tories messed it up. And that's allowed allowed a situation where a lot of people think, well, I mean, it's a, you know, who could have done better? They were dealt a terrible hand. Labour haven't offered anything clear they would have done differently. And that leads people to feel resigned. And then they think Labour opportunistic because there's no overall message. So it just looks like kind of, you know, all Captain Hindsight. That yeah. sets in. And equally, they're not, they're not putting forward any inspiring, coherent agenda alternative. 
the polling reflects that people the polling shows people don't know what Keir Starmer stands for I don't think his team do and I'm increasingly concerned he doesn't either um and, and the Labour's polling is falling badly and that's before we have the mass opening up and you know Boris Johnson rides a tidal wave of sunshine and optimism which he's actually good at that's his thing really as a politician yeah. I suppose my question is to you and the unions is Labour, Labour clearly, you know, they're in this position where they're not offering that, they're not offering an inspiring alternative of any description. And because these are savvy Tories, what they do, as you, you said, is they actually just appropriate tinkering policies and repackage them as their own. So if Labour offers a very mild, modest tinkering package, the Tories will just take bits of it and then Labour have got nothing left to say. But the Labour leadership will go, well, at the end of the day, the unions will kick off, they're They'll, you know, but they'll they'll grumble, they'll say things in interviews, but they're not going to do anything. They're still going to give us the money. Uh, obviously, the Labour Party, the clue is in the name, was founded by the trade unions to give a political voice to the organised workers' movement. What can you actually do? What can you and the other unions do to put pressure on Keir Starmer to abide by it? It should be emphasised, because some will say, well, come on, he won by a massive majority. But he won on the mandate, which you've outlined, which is to stick to key core radical domestic policies. So how are you and the other unions going to force him to stick to that agenda? Well, I, I think that for me, the priority is is to develop a distinct trade union agenda um, to change the balance of forces in the world of work and in wider society. I think we have to do that now. Um, and I think in doing that, I think that in itself will show a lead um, in taking on the big multinational companies, um, in taking on uh, the insecure employment models that exist right across the UK and having common bargaining agendas, we will set the direction. And what we hope from that is Labour will follow. Um, what I would say to you is that, you know, our union at the moment, we're about to have a discussion about our own political strategy. We've started that that conversation. And, you know, we're going to change our position. So what I mean by that is, is that I don't think it's appropriate for us at the moment to be giving um, our members money um, to the Central Labour Party um, when it's in this place that, for me, it's not, you know, achieving uh, at the moment. Uh, and I think what that means is, though, is that we don't get into the debate at this stage of disaffiliation, because I'm not sure that actually does anything, um, but that we target our money um, to people in the Labour Party locally, Metro mayors who are going to fight for our members' jobs, terms and conditions, councils that may support that, MPs that may support that. So for me, it's very much a thing of, you know, supporting people who support us, um, making it clear to Labour that they're not going to get something for nothing. You know, that ain't on. Now, where that leads, um, it'll, it'll lead, you know. Uh, and I think we have got to be quite clear that that's the position we're going to take. And that's what the CWU are going to be debating. Um, so, you know, for me, it's an agenda of making change happen, uh, not waiting for the Labour Party to do it. I, I've got to say, I, I do understand that it, how difficult it is um, at the moment. And I think it does need a, a bit of a, 
a chat about strategies. I mean, for me, Labour cannot define itself under any one overarching agenda. It, it's got some fantastic activists, um, but it doesn't seem to be able to bring it together around what its key agenda is going to be for people. And, you know, I think trade unions need to step up in, in that vacuum. And that's what I would argue uh, is the priority. I also think that we, we don't want to get... I haven't got the energy or the time or the resources to get involved in factional fighting within the Labour Party. I'd, you know, our job is to represent our members, to enhance their pay terms and conditions and protect their jobs. And that's where our priority is going to be. You know, we're, we're going to be prioritising that. We always have. Um, but I think all unions should be thinking about us as the opposition. And I, I also say that I don't want to get involved in factional fighting uh, within the Labour Party um, because, you know, we can't let the Tories off the hook. Mm. I, I, I mean, what you said, I find it incredible, really do, that somebody who spent his life, um, you know, telling lies, um, who's been caught out so many times, can, can be seen as somebody who's going to change this country when, you know, all of the evidences during the pandemic that the Tories have pulled a free card trick, you know. I mean, if it, if it wasn't so sad and so tragic about what's happened with excess deaths in this country, track and trace, uh, their procurement policy has been about making the rich richer. And we've got to get out there and tell people that now. Uh, and I think we've we got a challenge, though, in a slightly different way. I think it's about telling people what we're going to do. You know, not always... Uh, perhaps, although I've just done it, what the Tories are doing. I think we've got to show people, particularly in um, you know parts of the country where we know uh, the Tories have cut through in our traditional areas, we, we've got to offer those people a, a route back uh, to believing that the trade union movement and the labour movement stands for them. It's a big job, um, but I think it's about doing things for me not about arguing, you know, the toss within the Labour Party. I've kind of not given up on that. I'm, I'm a Labour Party member, have been for, for years and years, uh, and we'll stay that. You know, I'm not I'm not into the, you know, let's start a new party up uh, at this moment. I don't, I don't think that the evidence is it never gets off the ground. Um, it's about what we do. We, we as trade unions have a responsibility to take this fight on particularly in the world of work, for all the reasons you've highlighted. And if we're not going to do that, you know, then we're not doing our job. And that's why I'd appeal to every trade unionist in the country, every worker, it's time for us to bring workers together. And, you know, I, I think we can do that with a bold agenda. And then my hope is that by doing that, the Labour Party will follow. Cheers, Dave. Really appreciate you joining us. And, uh, covering so much ground uh, from the small L Labour movement to the capital L Labour Party. Uh, it's a big, big privilege to have your insights. And it's very important that on this channel, um, not least, and this is an important point to make about our media ecosystem, the trade unions are the biggest democratic mass movement in the country. Uh, and yet on the BBC, on several major media outlets, you'll hear the spokespeople of big business treated as impartial witnesses often uh, platformed 
uh, and yet the biggest mass democratic movement in the history of the country uh, is not given the same airtime no. platform. So it's very important that that's counted. But I really appreciate you joining us and uh, I will see you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Owen. And you're doing a good job in giving us that platform and we appreciate that. Not at all. I haven't had a go at your hair either because I can't. Honestly, it's get, it's so, I'm just, it, I'm count the 12th of April is going to be a big day. I'm not going to sleep the night before. It's going to be very, very exciting. I'm counting. I'd rather, I'd rather look like you than what I do at the moment. It's oh, very stylish, very stylish and less hassle. Cheers, Dave. All right. Cheers, Owen. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that and learned from it. I certainly did. Uh, as ever, to help support us, patreon.com forward slash owenjoes84. That way you can help decide what we do, what we talk to, who, what we talk about, all the support function. Do subscribe. Give us five stars. Go on, you know you want to and leave a review. Lots of love, everyone. Speak soon. 